how to push towards some newer initiatives that you know are going to be much much better in the future unit economics wise customer experience uh, wise and so on but uh, internal machinery was hard to change user behavior was hard to change um, and somewhere i believe that it's very very difficult to change consumer behavior welcome to another episode of the startup operator in this episode i'm going to be talking to satesh sirur Satej is a stellar product guy. He has spent time before at Microsoft and Amazon and then eventually headed product at Taxi for sure from its founding to exit of 200 million in 2015. He's now the co-founder at Rocketium. Um, Rocketium builds products that helps uh, enterprises make hundreds or even millions of creatives in minutes. They are to Photoshop what Tableau is to Excel. In this episode, we talk about his journey, the early days at uh, Taxi for Sure, uh, what they did to complement and then change consumer behavior, his experience as a founder now, how he's running his company on frameworks and principles, uh, and also building a team of outperformers with radical candor. So I can't wait for you guys to listen in to this fascinating episode. Let's get started. Hi Satej, welcome to the startup operator. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey Roshan, thank you for having me. Uh, so Satej, my first question is that, you know, uh, you've done various roles in the last 10 years or so, right? So from being a software engineer at Microsoft uh, to, you know, heading product at Taxi for sure, and then now being the founder at uh, Rocketium. What has changed uh, all through these years? Yeah, it's been a longest uh, journey uh, and a uh, lot of uh, changes throughout. But uh, I would say the last five years uh, of doing Rocketium has been the most amount of change because you know, consciously I've been looking for change, thinking about how am I going to get better and so on. So, um, But if I just had to break down and kind of group uh, those three parts of my life almost. So about uh, the first uh, eight or nine years of my life was uh, as a software engineer. Um, the two years after that was... Uh, the three years was uh, MBA as well as uh, management and product experience at uh, Taxi for sure. The remaining five have been in uh, Rocketium. So if I uh, think about that journey, and in many ways, a lot of us uh, go through that journey, right? Uh, you are an individual contributor, then you're a manager, then you're a manager of managers. It's almost been like that. Also, uh, I am older, so yeah. that evolution has also happened. But uh, in many ways, uh, it's just uh, almost like three different lives. So, uh, so the first part, uh, like many people, uh, you know, good at uh, uh, chasing some logos and uh, you know joining uh, the right kind of uh, companies and uh, trying to do well, being a part of the system, uh, you know, going from promotion to promotion, those kinds of things. Even though that was not primarily the focus, but somewhere you end up getting caught in that uh, cycle. So, um, a large part of uh, this one, uh, and here uh, it's a little philosophical is that uh, a large part of uh, that process and daily decisions that I used to make were ruled by fear. It was fear of some sort, either fear of letting somebody down, letting uh, not, not meeting my own expectations, or uh, when I was in the US, I was there for five years. That time, this irrational fear that something will I'll do, it will not work out, I'll be let go, then I'll be sent back to India. Not that coming back to India was a fear, but it was just this overnight something will have to change and I'll have to go. So a large part of that was really driven by uh, fear. So, um, and as you can imagine, when you are always in fear, you're not really, I wouldn't say not happy, but 
just a lot of uh, uh, sort of maybe a mixture of stress and some of those things. So you're not really doing as well as you can. Just kind of doing what you're told. So that was really the first part uh, of my life. Yeah, I think you should have something to run away from, not just run towards. <laughs> you know yeah and i don't think uh, fear is a bad thing necessarily right a lot of uh, oh, it's your biggest motivator yeah. sometimes I, and just having spent time uh, in all of these different parts of the world uh, you can see that fear is a big contributor to why in some countries you do yeah. a lot of things and in some countries you just are okay <laughs> to get away with stuff because in india that fear yeah. is not there of what happens if you break the red light or you know so and so and i've seen in the us systems completely break down when that fear goes away either uh, you know like traffic lights are not working cops are not there so i've seen systems completely break down and be like india and whatever we say about india so anyway but uh, that part um, i used to tell people that fear is a big motivator it is something that you should keep uh, uh, in have at the back of your mind uh, create something that creates fear in you even if it's not real use that just a little thing that i remember there was this experiment they ran with mice Uh, on how fast they can run on the hamster wheel right so on that wheel basically uh, and uh, they did three things so one they kept like a piece of cheese uh, in front of the mouse and then you know i mean uh, they measured how fast it ran and then uh, then what they did was i mean they they gave a whiff of uh, something like a predator like a cat uh, coming after it and checked how far it, how fast it ran and the optimal was uh, when it had a cheese uh, as well as the before <laughs> so you know something to run away from something to run towards yeah absolutely really nice uh, analogy for all yeah. of us so uh, in a startup you are both uh, trying to prevent your own demise as well as uh, trying to grow the company and take it to the next yeah. level so yeah i guess we all live in that so um, and then that a lot of things that would come from that fear would uh, also be there right. um, so you would be a little more risk averse uh, you know not really try too many things uh, that would rock the boat and so on um, the next phase was uh, at taxi for sure where in the early days and when i'd uh, shared with the ceo of taxi for sure this philosophy uh, he was talking about it that uh, you know fear once you let go of it you will see how how many opportunities there are that uh, will make you want to grow create more change around you more impact and so on and i couldn't really see that at that time and i couldn't let go of that fear but slowly it was transitioning into something slightly different which was uh, i would say the next 3 uh, or 4 years were um, where ego was somewhere uh, driving uh, everything that i was doing where somewhere for whatever reason i felt that i had arrived at created something i have uh, some sort of pedigree and so on and i felt that whatever i create i have to be judged very positively people have to just say that oh satej has made this it is amazing so i wanted that Uh, not necessarily praised from people but somewhere i wanted like okay it's my output whatever i'm doing has to be world class and really amazing so that was sort of what was uh, really driving me that phase and so uh, again it in a way it is a negative feeling because somewhere it's not coming from some positive thing that you're trying to create in the world and anything but it was a great driver because even in small things like the team that we were trying to build it was always that sense that this team has to be the best team not because i want to win some fictional prize but it's my team i am creating it they have to be really really happy i have to be the best manager they have to really love me all of those things were really driving that also happens when you tend to put everything you have into something right whether it's you know a product a feature that you're shipping 
or building your team or anything that you're doing yeah absolutely and uh, somewhere i was uh, trying to find out what was the motivating factor what was driving me to do all of these things and only in hindsight i could see that that transition had happened where i was afraid a little bit but it was more that i i felt i had a reputation i had a some sort of a name that i had to uphold uh, and then that name expanded and became not just me but people who were associated with me it could be my company it could be the team that uh, i work with and so on so that phase of uh, isb as well as uh, taxi for sure and first couple of years of rocket team were more about that um, now i can slowly see a shift where fear is almost non existent so i am not afraid at nice. all which is a huge thing for me where uh, if i look back now and I, i would say a lot of my us experience was uh, tainted by that sort of uh, cloud of fear which i didn't see it at that time but now i can imagine that anything i do any board that i see with instructions used to create fear that oh i will mess up uh, something and then some cop will come and irrational fear and a lot of indians live in that sort of fear even though uh, nobody's racist nobody puts you in jail nothing but that was there and so uh, that fear is completely gone so um, that in turn has created uh, an amazing feeling of liberation where i can be very honest to people very directly i can tell them something uh, and a lot of uh, uh, entrepreneurs might be going through that or people with that sort of entrepreneurial spirit uh, might be going through that where they can be open with people um, and somewhere that has now melded with a sort of newer driving force i don't know if it's still uh, that's the one because i think only in hindsight i'll see it, but somewhere i want to create that big impact big change i want people around me to become better so somewhere that is also driving that feeling that i want to be very open with people so if i do a recently we did a session with a few people and there were organizers over there later i gave feedback saying hey the organizer could have done these five things better now that person could be like hey you were doing one session this is my business why are you <laughs> trying to give me feedback like it's my business i'll take care of it but somewhere i felt that person should be absolutely excellent in what they do not that they didn't introduce me right or you know they didn't ask questions none of those things but somewhere i touched them i i was impacted by them i feel they should become much better so somewhere that impact and wanting people to become better that is really what is driving it so those are sort of three phases uh, of my life i don't know what the next phase uh, holds but uh, i can see these sort of clear parallels over like first 10 years then 5 years then another 5 years or so nice nice yeah i mean uh, the freedom to experiment sort of like uh, express yourself and be intellectually curious right that is like you know a fantastic uh, sort of a spur to have you know where you sort of feel like you have nothing to lose by just expressing yourself freely uh, and you know and i i really feel i mean that's one of the key drivers to doing fantastic work yeah and and nobody's very few people once you see this it's like seeing the matrix <laughs> a lot of these hidden yeah. things that you see in the world as more and more of these are revealed to you uh, you you cannot imagine others can't do right. it others can't give say a simple thing like hey your mic is on mute i can't hear yeah. you a lot of people will just be quiet they'll not say something it's like so obvious and such a small right. thing right but today i am given even able to give really brutal feedback to somebody just sort of uh, you know questioning everything about their life even that i can now say to people because somewhere i know what's the driving force behind it. i'm not trying to make you feel small or uh, tell you i'm better than you and none of those things i want you to be amazing i can see something in you you know piece of uh, spinach stuck in your teeth i can see it you can't doesn't make me a better person yeah. but if i say it you remove it you can become better so that's really what's driving it so it gives you that freedom that 
um, I didn't have before. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, it also, I mean, people are able to sense the intent uh, with which uh, you're saying it, right? Most people, I would say. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you also have to kind of package it in some sort of a palatable fashion, I feel, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, you were part of uh, Taxi for sure, which, you know, got sold for, I think, 200 million uh, uh, in 2015. Um, you know, what were the early days at uh, Taxi for sure? Like, how did you go about building the product function? Uh, educate us about some of the choices that you made and so on. Yeah, so when I was interviewing with Taxi for sure, it was a seed funded company. This was uh, in about uh, February of 2013. By the time I joined, it was uh, June of 2013. Um, the company had uh, just closed its Series A at that time. And at those times, B2C companies used to have a Series A of, uh, you know, 4 million and stuff like that. The Series yeah. round was 1.5 million, uh, which uh, it feels like a long, long, long time ago. But um, even then, I think the company was still figuring out a lot of things. I don't really think uh, there was a clear product market fit. There was not a very clear two, three, four customer segments and use cases that were figured out. But you knew something was working. There was repeatable growth. There was some motions that you could go through to create those cycles. But um, it's difficult to imagine how things were, uh, how different things were in uh, 2013. It just feels like it was right now. But uh, very little mobile usage was happening. Um, everybody just wanted the call center. So even within the company, a lot of these product-led initiatives that we were trying to do were very difficult to accept, not only because of the uh, previous things that the company was uh, doing, but also to, so for example, I started as a PM for the app team. I was I didn't join as the head of product. I was the uh, first PM. Uh, at that time, I was the only PM. They had a couple of PMs before. But uh, when I joined, I was the only PM. The idea was not for me to become head of product or any such thing. I just had to get the app out, uh, socialize it, and you know, get it to a certain quality level and so on. So um, really, the big challenge internally was to uh, give enough preference to app because when certain amount of bookings used to come from uh, other channels and app was just starting off, it was very difficult to move the internal machinery to get to that. So those were big challenges. Uh, and no fault of the people, even if they allowed the app to get more bookings and get uh, more coverage, people weren't using it. People always wanted the call center. They wanted to talk to somebody, get that assurance. So those were some uh, big challenges that we had uh, in the early days that, uh, you know, how to push towards some newer initiatives that you know are going to be much, much better in the future, unit yeah. economics wise, customer experience uh, wise and so on. But uh, internal machinery was uh, hard to change. User behavior was hard to change. Yeah. Um, and somewhere, I believe that it's very, very difficult to change consumer behavior. And we um, we were lucky that uh, the experiments that we were doing, they were working because whatever ways in which we tried to engineer user change, I didn't see that working. I'll, I'll give you a simple example. Yeah, that uh, in north of Bangalore, a lot of times people wanted to go there. It could be office, it could be something else. And... Um, Cabs did not want to go there for a very simple reason. From their own experience, they are also data-driven like all humans. They, they end up there and they find out that no bookings come from going from North Bangalore to anywhere else. So they get stuck over there. And the marketing team and the ops team always used to keep having these fights, saying that, how do you get cabs back from North Bangalore? Get us demand there, get us demand there. And that was like the perennial problem for the marketing. How the hell do I get people from North Bangalore back to anywhere else? And they had tried flyers, they had tried giving uh, coupons to people, they had done like, you know, in-person campaigns, holdings, everything they tried, they couldn't do it. But then 
six, nine, twelve months later, when secularly the demand went up everywhere, North Bangalore was still far lower demand than anywhere else. But still, mm. secularly, as the demand went up, that problem kind of vanished. So right. even with a large amount of funding and almost uh, intuitive need for transportation to get from one place to the other, uh, something like that should have humongous need. Even there, you could not create need if people didn't have that. There's just no way to do that. So those were some challenges that we had. So uh, finding a product market fit, really figuring out the customer segment, in some ways, I feel we didn't have to solve that problem because so much uh, latent need was there across all segments. We didn't have to do anything special to get one set of people. So I feel that learning, um, I don't really think I developed over there. Uh, But definitely things like uh, really structuring uh, the product to support various teams because product was not the central function. It was almost incidental. But mm. you wanted a cab. That was the product. The taxi ride was your product. The, the experience with the driver was a product. It took us all a while to understand that. Yeah. The, the app, website, booking, internal logistics, operations, algorithms, they almost didn't matter because there would, have been, there would be times when the system was entirely down for a variety of reasons. It would be down. People would take every booking, everything would be managed on spreadsheets and the business would still run. No, I mean, some of those things that we take for granted right now, right? So one thing that you mentioned just like uh, rang so true, uh, back in 2012, 2013, you actually had to sell app usage to people. I mean, it it sounds like fantastic. (laughs) It sounds crazy, right? Like who would want to talk to someone in the call center right now? You know, Uh, even for something like service issues or dispute resolution, you would much rather, you know, resolve it over an app or, you know, at best an email, right? But things like that, I mean, I think between 2012 to 2015-16, the amount of investment that went into changing consumer behavior in India was just tremendous, right? And Taxi for sure obviously was at the forefront of that. Yeah, so so, uh, uh, that said, we still built a fairly... uh, at that time, it felt like a very large team. There were 12 people in the product team. And the right. way we had split it also, uh, and now that I look back, I see all of the uh, you know the points uh, emerging that you know today I'm like a big fan of frameworks. I'll have this very structured approach mm-hmm. to doing something. That time, right. it was almost incidental that we ended up uh, doing that. But we had created uh, four verticals within the company, uh, of uh, within the product team. The first one was the consumer vertical. And this is where anything related to the consumer side, we would focus on. This could be the app. This could be website. Uh, there was a discount engine and promotions and all of that uh, that we had created and a few other things. Uh, there was a supply side thing. So this is all the stuff focused on the drivers because a very similar parallel set of products were there even for drivers. Taxi for sure also had another stakeholder, which was the operator because Taxi for sure didn't directly work with drivers. We worked with right. operators who were aggregating drivers under them. So a set of uh, you know portals and almost like a uh, CRM come ERP sort of thing for the operators we had built up. So that was uh, one uh, vertical where a few team members were there. Um, then there was the platform vertical where all of the uh, logistics of you know all the algorithms, the analytics systems, the uh, internal systems for booking and for uh, you know managing all the dashboards, all of those. Right. And finally, there was a corporate uh, vertical. So even um, at that stage where the company wasn't very large, we had built out the product team for a much larger scale. So we wouldn't have kept grown from 12 to 100, but those 12 would have been the same uh, team and a really powerful uh, uh, platform that we'd have had for the company to grow from the 200 million to a billion and more. 
but uh, you know as uh, fate would have it uh, there are other plans for us right right no i mean that's a that's a story for uh, sometime else right <laughs> i mean that was the yeah i mean very interesting times and i was following those i mean very very closely uh, from very close quarters at that time uh, you know being a product person and now a founder right so uh that whole transition and stuff how does it influence the choices you make uh, what are the things that you are really good at because of your product experiences and what are some of those dark areas where you know that you know you're being influenced sort of adversely by being a product person as somebody who's always been in engineering product and those kinds of things that was kind of a comfort area and especially when the other areas are very different or very challenging you Uh, have that natural tendency to stay away from so those so um, early days you could kind of justify it saying that hey it's a purely software product i can't do something on a spreadsheet and solve a problem for you like it had to be a product it has to be of a certain level of polish so somewhere i justified not going out and speaking with customers not doing enough sales things like that saying oh product has to be built then only let me go on and somewhere that also uh, remember that time i was in that ego phase that the product had to be of a certain level you know people uh shouldn't say like oh okay looks like it is made from somebody in hsr sector 7 <laughs> no offense to hsr sector 7 but uh, so that is uh, the sort of uh, mode that i was in so uh, it really prevented me from um learning enough about uh, the other side of the business uh, being curious enough uh, uh, and overcoming the challenges that i had the good thing was i uh, didn't have an ego about okay people have to pay for this or uh you know people have to uh, love the product on day one somewhere it was that i have to get to that stage where they really like the product it makes a big difference in their life money and all of those things will follow so somewhere right. um, building that product to the best of uh, our capabilities so that it solves a problem of people hmm. that is something that we were able to do as product people um nice. and a lot of uh, now what we are seeing after uh, so the last year and a half is uh, what would really qualify as the real rocketium because uh, that has been our b2b phase um, everything else was a sort of b2c thing that we are doing so in the last year and a half all the learnings from those times and uh, the, the real hardcore problems that we solved are coming to bear fruit today because today we are able to go out have really powerful conversations you know global customers are saying this is exactly the sort of thing that we want um, and so um, not focusing on business at that time possibly could have helped in uh, possibly has led to some of this because if you had said that no on day one you have to pay me and you have to pay mm-hmm. only this much and i will build whatever you want as long as um, i get money out of it because that didn't happen we had built over time pretty powerful platform uh, we didn't want to do one is to one building for a customer we said okay does this make sense for a larger roadmap that we have um, that that really helped also because as product people and also like i was telling you i had started developing this uh, a fetish for these frameworks and roadmaps and things right. like that back in 2016 even when we were doing b2c stuff uh, we had this roadmap uh, and my co-founder also is a product and analytics person uh, so we had created this roadmap back then a lot of it is coming to bear fruit today a lot of what customers we thought would want back in 2016 customers today are telling us those things and we know some of the things that we had planned then we'll be building in 2021 and 2022 so it really helped us think about the next 5 10 years uh, on day one even when there was very little to go on there was really the industry was at a very different phase there was not uh, really any competition or people talking about this industry or any such thing 
So uh, being product people, it really helped to see the future and slowly make it happen. So you didn't really make the transition from build to sell. I mean, rather from what I hear, I mean, you just built diligently as product people do, you know, mm. and uh, sales is sort of incidental, right? I mean, now some of the startup founders or operators listening to this are like, you know, salivating hearing this. So <laughs> how did that, how did that happen? Yeah, uh, and I just want to warn that I'm not saying that this way of doing it is good. I am, in in fact, to anybody, uh, a lot of my business school friends who want to start up or other entrepreneurs uh, reach out uh, quite often. Um, I tell them, don't uh, do as I did, do as I say, because uh, I don't think this is the right way to go about it. I, again, I had the hubris uh, of the fact that, oh, taxi for sure, because of uh, it had reached a certain stage, I used to be called to speak at events and mentor CEOs and uh, you know, advise the VC firms and all of those things. So I felt I was somebody. I had also made money from the exit. So I said, okay, let me just build whatever I wanted and not worry about how big the market is. And somewhere reading a lot of tech crunch and really drinking that Kool-Aid of the B2C <laughs> side of things, I, I felt I should just build the product, get it to a certain level of quality, then magically customers will come. And you read that so many times, it's ingrained in you that build and they will come will not happen. But you still yeah. make those mistakes. And I'm telling people, yeah. please don't do it. Please find a customer persona. Please focus on one use case. Please solve a problem for them or validate the problem before even building. And today we are finally living those. No, it's also a question of scale, right? See, the thing is that I feel that the key difference between B2B and B2C um, is the fact that how many, um, how many people you can get in front of with the resources that you have, right? Yeah. Uh, with the sort of you know product that you have, I mean, you might have to probably reach uh, I don't know thousand or ten thousand people to get product market fit fit on the B two C side. Yeah. But then B two B, I mean, it's a walk down HSR uh, layout to meet uh, thirty people, right? Thirty companies. Yeah, and if you don't even do that, which is what we we I, and I would tell you that I have spoken with enough people, but mm. the way I conducted those interviews, what I wanted to hear from it, uh, and what they were saying, those were mismatched. And a lot of times, as a product person. I had that arrogance uh, mm. and you could say that that arrogance was uh, completely, uh, you know, not misplaced because uh, now a lot of those things are coming true. But yeah. um, it was arrogance in that. So you have I to read, read the, the higher thing. purpose, I suppose. Yeah. And even though I said I read that and I said that, hey, this will come to pass. They, they just don't know it yet. They will come back. Yeah. Yeah. Many of those have become customers. Yeah. But if I think about it, my co-founder being... Uh, here when he could be doing any sort of uh, role anywhere else, right? A smart uh, person from IIT, uh, the rest of the team, really smart people, uh, many of whom will finish five years with us. Somewhere I feel wow. that responsibility that I had of uh, figuring out product market fit, building a, a strong business that is growing. If it had been done two years earlier, their learning, their growth, everything would have been very different. So somewhere I feel that that was arrogance on my part to say that, hey, customers don't know uh, well enough. They will turn around uh, a few years from now and come back to us. I don't think that was right. I think we should have really nailed down what the problem was and solved that first. And some of that um, arrogance of building something out and then proving them right a few years later, I don't think that was the right thing. So today we are fixing that. A lot right. of uh, strong ideas that we had, we know we have now, which we know will bear fruit uh, very soon once customers are ready. We have ap actively taken that decision not to build it. So we have done prototypes uh, every uh, quarter we do hackathon. So in, in hackathon, we actually built something. The team was very excited. They thought, 
like usual rocketing will start building out another product we will uh, you know start giving it out in the market and stuff and then see who wants it and i was absolutely firm let's do it in a hackathon let's have fun over here but i am not spending even one man day of uh, effort on something unless i know five customers want it so today Gosh, we are evangelizing yeah so today we are evangelizing this uh, i'm putting it in my pitch deck I think this is an important direction in which the company will grow. This expanding circles right. in which we will grow. This is the vision, but I'm not spending any time on it. Right. No, I mean it's um, so. Here's how I see it. Right. I mean, I think it's important to have that uh, feedback loop. Um, not just important. I think it's critical. Right. Uh, it's a must-have. But then, how you read that feedback is very, very, very important as well. right people kind of take it at the lowest level of abstraction saying that okay this person said this so that yeah. means i mean he wants this feature or something of that sort right like you know henry ford is famously quoted as having said uh, uh, if i had asked what people wanted they would have said faster horses right, right? so kind of reading that um, um, you know reading that higher purpose is where is what separates the truly great uh, product folks from you know just the average uh, people as there Correct. Um, uh, so today, I would say I have transitioned uh, a fair bit from this ego thing, where even though all of us are very self-aware, we are, you know, we we'll make all these jokes that hey, I know I don't uh, think I'm Steve Jobs, and so I'm not going to do mm-hmm. some stuff like Steve Jobs. But somewhere right. we all act like we are Steve Jobs and Henry Ford. We mm-hmm. think we know better than somebody. We think that building a feature that a customer asks is somehow beneath us. Hey, we are not a quote-unquote services company. Why would we do something? Mm-hmm. When, uh somewhere uh, our team also had that arrogance saying that why are we building so and so feature one customer asked for it why are we building we are not a services as if services company is a bad thing you are solving a problem for a customer there is nothing more that a pro- product person should want that a, a technology person should want than to solve somebody's problem yeah if somebody yeah. really really wants you to solve that problem it's one person just solve that problem I'm yeah. sure if there one person has that problem, you will find hundred people who will have that problem. Yeah, no, right? I mean, and uh, uh, you know, product folks always have this uh, uh, bias against services, right? Um, but I mean, if you look at a B two B company, for example, right, even Rocketium, plenty of the services stuff that you do can be productized, right? Uh, literally, your product roadmap uh, can be, you know, things that customers have deployed already. right uh, that you think that could be useful for multiple people that's it 80% of what we are building are features that our customers have asked for yes. and yeah. there is that visceral reaction in the team saying hey we have become a services company we're just building features that <laughs> then i give them example after example saying that hey this company had asked us for it and we built it that time we evaluated and felt that it could be a good addition to the platform a month later three more customers have had that exact same need it was impossible yeah. to predict this feature unless this first customer told us but now four people are using and so example after example as we do it i uh, call that out to my team because they have that aversion um, because we we almost that very stark transition we did from b2c to b2b where yeah. hardly anything people are paying us or paying us you know $19 a month uh, and then we are going to them and saying sir please tell us what we can do for you <laughs> you know we are watching recordings of them using the product using analytic funnels and uh, all of those things heat maps to figure out where are they clicking where are they not clicking trying to predict what features they are asking us and here you have large businesses global enterprises saying i want x feature <laughs> and you are saying oh we won't build it because we are not services i mean just the arrogance of it is yeah it's uh, it's, it's crazy 
<laughs> it's crazy so i mean uh, i sometimes have this conversation with engineers uh, and you know i ask them what percentage of salesforce or you know some name a company right yeah. uh, like typical product or platform company what percentage comes uh, of the revenue comes from services they really surprised to know even now uh, you know 10 20 years after after their uh, founding 20 30% of their exactly. revenue comes from services right and yeah. at that scale you can't even imagine uh, so yeah i mean so you mentioned that you have a tightly group a tightly knit uh, group at uh, rocketium right uh, how do you hire these people uh, you know how do you identify operators uh, uh, to work at early stage startups um, and you know what are those key things that change uh, between let's say employee number 4 and employee number 400 yeah so uh, when we hire uh, i wouldn't say we have a very um, sort of very nicely codified way of hiring and slowly we are starting to put some of those things especially to uh, get rid of any sort of implicit bias and so on mm-hmm. but i would say in the last 5 years as we have done hiring uh, some sort of pattern has emerged so one is for most people i don't know which i'm not saying uh, i don't care but uh, for the most part i don't remember which company they have worked at before uh, what school they have gone to it like almost never i remember some of this because that's not mm. an area that we look at somewhere we know that okay these are the skills that you have we uh, validate you uh, having those skills we check for culture fit how you are approaching certain things uh, and hygiene stuff like hey why did you leave that previous company did you leave mm. because they weren't listening to your feedback there was some fundamentally some sort of mismatch between your culture or did you never even raise those problems because we tell people when you are joining here you, you are a founding team member and we give those uh, kind of points you keep making to people even very explicitly we had given like bunch of diaries to people we called everybody founding team members we told them update your linkedin if you want to see your founding team member um, and as we are making big changes to uh, let's say for example this time we have put in place career paths for uh, various teams and we have shared a draft of that saying that hey how would you like the career path to be how can we make it better this is our pitch deck what can we do better so you are founding team members you are going to be giving feedback and help us improve at every one of these stages once you come in you will not like certain things but we are making the commitment not that we are perfect today but we are okay and we want to get better so if you have never tried to make your previous company better then uh, you will not want to make this company better or yeah. if you had tried but they didn't listen just know that we will uh, we will not be those kind so somewhere we try to drill that into people i wouldn't say we have figured out who ca- who are operators and who are just uh you know listeners and team players sort of thing um, that we haven't figured out but somewhere we try to push that right from the first conversation we are telling them that your career is important even after you leave rocketium our worth is going to be measured by how much better you are after you have left than uh keeping you here forever that's really not the goal but if you leave you should be a lot lot better than when you came somewhere we want you to be selfish so a lot of those things we try to talk about during the hiring process uh not check for are you from certain kinds of schools or are you have you been in certain kinds of companies so uh that sort of is broadly the process that we follow um and uh, a few other things that we look for is one is just basic smartness because one thing we figured out in people who have not worked out is somewhere if you are not just sharp when somebody is telling you and by the way we don't test for this with puzzles or any of those things we really don't do any of that um uh, <laughs> I just said the horse can run around the you know those kind of stuff how many balloons can you fit in something i mean yeah <laughs> how many people it takes to screw a light bulb 
Yeah, those are good questions. It will tell you some smart people, but somewhere smartness is more about as I'm telling you something, are you able to auto-complete? If I'm asking you something yeah. a little beyond, you know, I'm asking you till N and can you figure out N plus one? Right? Yeah. So those kinds of things we try to look for, more softer way of smart. But that is one thing. Um, we also uh, don't ask for specific uh, knowledge that people have. It's more around problem solving uh, and something real. So a lot of our interviews focused on making people do something real that they would do at Rocketeer. So uh, even some of the interns uh, that we had hired this time, they said this is a very different interview process because other people ask us knowledge questions. Now, what is so-and-so uh, yeah. technology or things like that? Whereas you guys gave us a problem. You didn't check whether we copied that thing or any of it. You asked us questions. Later. It's just very different. Yeah. So those no, are that things. that just blows my mind, right? I mean, it's two thousand. I mean, it's twenty twenty, and people still ask questions that can be like googled or, you know, even wiki, for example, right? So yeah, you should like, in fact check for googling skills of people, not <laughs> exactly. whether they know things that. <laughs> yeah. So this is closely related to what uh, you know. I was going to ask you, which is you know, as an organization, right? How do you define uh, culture? You know, what are some of those things that uh, help develop this culture? Any anecdotes or stories that you can share? Yeah, so uh, just very, uh, it's a cliche thing, but uh, we actually did a big exercise to define our culture code. Uh, we call them prime directives as a nod to Star Trek. Uh, and by the way, in case you didn't know the word enterprise of enterprise software comes from the Star Trek ship that they, sure. they are in. Uh, right. It's an interesting story. You should just look that up. So I'm glad that we are in that business of uh, Star Trek uh, software. But uh, so what we call prime directives, again, the founding team members created it. 25 of us, we broke ourselves into three groups. We said, these are the ways in which we want to behave. But more importantly, these are the things that we already do. Let's codify it. Let's write about it because you could print all the posters, give t-shirts, mugs, bags with those things printed. Yeah. But if every day you're not already living it, then it's very difficult to change people's behavior into doing uh, those things. So. Um, that is one thing that we did. So today our culture is just all the things that we keep doing on a daily basis, right? Just the yeah. way somebody writes a message, the kind of emoji that you would put. So there is a, a big emphasis on being positive and the optimistic in the company. So, uh, and this is a very interesting exercise, whoever you should do it, uh, Roshan, that the listeners should try it. Sure. Um, their phones will show you the most recent emoji that they are using. And just see the kind of emoji that you are using. It, it will tell you a lot about the kind of person you are. And try that exercise for your company also. Just see the top 10 most common emoji that people use. It will tell you the mood that people have, the tone that uh, the company has. And uh, funnily, uh, for each one of our culture uh, code uh, that we have, um, we have emoji to represent it. Just because the words are difficult to remember, but the emoji is easy to remember. So that's how we right. have defined it. But uh, really, our culture is about every day being a certain way uh, and most important, the one single most important thing for us is how can we become better every day? That is the number one thing because everything else can be fixed. If you have uh, a solid fundamental, some sort of a base foundation and the will to keep improving every day. So that's one very important thing. Even if it's two days of some activity, we ask for feedback saying, hey, how did we do? Can we do better? Not like some survey every time, but even in ad hoc conversations. Hey, we did this uh, uh, open house, can we do better next time? We did this hackathon, how can we do better? Mm. So that is uh, one thing that we do. So uh, somewhere we keep trying to drive that point that, uh, you know, uh, one more thing I'll tell you, right? We just did our uh, appraisals uh, this time. 
uh, told everybody we can't actually give you the salary hike until we reach a certain revenue milestone, profitability, some of those things which should happen in the next uh, uh, couple of months. But in that, we give ratings to people. Now, these ratings we have defined as uh, uh, starting with S, which is exceptional, A, B, C, and uh, F. So B is doing what you are supposed to do and uh, just sort of uh, or average or, you know, meets expectation, that kind of it. And that is B for us. So I know different companies might be doing something similar, but at least for us, it was very clear that we want to call it out as B. So you feel that pinch when I call you a B player. Because you'll right. say, I did everything. I, everything I'm supposed to do, I did. I said, yes, that's yeah. why you're B. <laughs> that is average. That is what is a base expectation. You should be better six months from now than you are today. If you are not, you will get a B. And so right. when people have that ego, they get pinched. They say, okay, I have to become, how am I going to become far better six months from now? So I'm not a B. Mm. So these are small ways in which we try to reinforce these points. Yeah. No, that's such an important point that you mentioned, right? Because uh, doing what you're told is just not enough, actually. Because oftentimes, I mean, you just have to take it uh, from, you know, not just zero to one, from one to ten, right? And you have to be able to see it. You have to be able to execute it as well. Um, and the culture thing, right, to me, I mean, and I've said this on the podcast before, it, it's, it just comes down to trade-offs. Because... Uh, in ideal oh, time, everyone these... wants to be fast. Everyone wants to give exactly. like solid quality. Everyone wants to be sincere, honest, everything, right? You write uh, these culture uh, principles. They yeah. all seem like motherhood and apple pie. Nobody <laughs> will argue exactly. against them. Like, yeah, yeah. fast, win, Who win, doesn't win, want to be that? Everybody yeah. wants to do it. But every yeah. one of those yeah. is a trade-off against something else. Yeah. No, I mean, think about think about pace of growth, right? If you're, if you're growing at such a rapid pace, uh, how can you like prioritize quality? Uh, you know, more than required, right? So, or, you know, up to a platinum standard. Um, some of these trade-offs are like super difficult. And I think like, you know, culture is what uh, implicitly communicates uh, this to your team, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Satej, let's do a, like a rapid fire round. Uh, just quick answers to some of these questions. So you can even like, you know, uh, <laughs> unpack that in further detail. Sure. Um, so, most delightful feature you've consumed. What is yours? Why don't you tell me? Maybe I'll give you some ideas. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I think one of the one of the um, and again, I mean, you know, this might seem like plain speak at this point of time, but I just love that you can just like click one button and save things to pocket. Oh yeah. So I, uh, I mean, it's just so simple, so intuitive. No opening up a a tab, save to bookmark, and then fishing it out of that and and stuff like that. Um, I love that. I love uh, uh, how Swiggy solves its uh, service issues, for example. Right? Three taps and you're done. Yep. Right? Uh, and again, I mean, they figured something which is like such a no-brainer. If a customer is spending, like, say, let's say 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks a week, uh, you know, hesitating to give him like a 50 bucks refund is just stupid. Right? right? So, yeah, I mean, those are a uh, couple of things that immediately come to mind. Uh, yeah, but just, I would yeah. I, I would say that uh, uh, what I find most delightful is somewhere where uh, it's intuitive, it's obvious, it should be like that, yeah, but yeah. you didn't expect them to do it. A simple example <laughs> is in Slack, when I'm pasting plain text from somewhere into Slack, it mm -hmm. figures out the formatting uh, and sort of uh, does yeah. some autocomplete is that. So, for yeah. example, there are times when I would have just written in some other software for whatever reason, I would have written at and somebody's name and just in, while making notes. When mm -hmm. I paste it into Slack, it figures out the name, the names of those people and kind of just tags them properly or yeah. 
hash something out have done it makes that into chat so these are small things that slack has done that make you realize that okay somebody has been thinking about yeah. uh yeah. something that they wanted and they solved that problem you, you put yeah. hash and some color code it puts a small square with that color over there and these right. are really useful and uh, powerful things and those kinds of things really delight me the nokia phone is to delight me like that that it would be simple obvious things that you'd be like i don't know how this problem would be solved but let mm-hmm. me try this this feels like the most obvious way to solve it and yeah. when i press that button that thing would happen that would really delight me usually yeah i mean it's it's uh, the more i think about it right it's not those fundu out of the world innovative uh, features or whatever it's the small things that uh, you think should it should have already, al- always been like that but uh, the you know 9 out of 10 times it isn't like that and you know somebody has just right. put their thought into it right so right yeah so okay question 2 uh, this can be contentious uh, to you know especially if your team is listening to this hmm. who can be more frustrating to work uh, work with engineers or mbas <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult uh okay, why don't you tell me what, what don't you like about both of them <laughs> uh see i'll uh, preface this by saying that you know both have done a crossover right it isn't as bad as let's say 12 years back when i started when uh, engineers were so thick headed uh, that you know they wouldn't understand anything about business and to them it was all code 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 yeah. uh they've certainly crossed over right i mean look at the whole product culture that we have in bangalore for example right yeah. uh places like taxi for sure etc definitely aided all of that right Uh, and you've seen that evolution right and i've also seen mbas become um a lot more technical as well right uh, i mean it's no longer just slides and whatever at least they should know what what the hell apis are right yeah. um so see, both of us that's the problem both of us are looking <laughs> at the positive side of things we are not able to find the frustration but one thing that i will tell you is that uh, at least the stage of uh, uh, life that i'm in the mindset that i have um mm. i find somewhere on the engineering side to be uh, things to be a little frustrating uh, mm. because um they readily accept and they say okay let's do it either they are excited to solve a problem or they say mm. that sure you have thought more about this let's go ahead with it but somewhere i want to push back somewhere i want somebody to further my own thinking so uh, directly accepting and doing something i feel i don't get an opportunity to learn wow so you're working with angels and, dude <laughs> really i mean i i don't get any pushback and it's wow. not for because i'm very forceful or any of those somewhere they are like sure this makes a lot of sense let's do it i said no but <laughs> you need to make it better like how do you do uh, you know just say no more you know just yeah so yeah i, I yeah. was that that uh, if anything frustrates me i think it's that but uh, otherwise i think uh, you are uh, spot on um, both sides have really uh, blurred the lines everybody is uh, mm. should just see some of the uh, when you say mba i think you mean more uh, business folks in general we don't have yeah. many mbas <laughs> uh, but the business folks in our company they are talking json and you know uh, you know can i send this thing to the web callback and they uh, they are running this thing in lambda what should they do i mean they are very very technical and not because right. they are forced to do it they actually enjoy it they want to go into the weeds they are debugging our customers problems you are like guys mm. their developers should be doing it you don't have to do this yeah no i mean we had this credo uh, uh, you know at this place that i worked uh, worked at you know i mean 10 years back uh if a business guy doesn't know enough technology or a technology guy doesn't know enough business there's no way they'll succeed right right because just because of the space that you're in right so okay moving on from that uh this is again interesting b2c consumer internet in 
or B2B SaaS in 2020? I think SaaS, man. I, I, I can't yeah. think of B2C anymore. It just, uh, <laughs> I, I cannot imagine B2C companies succeeding at the sort of scale that B2B companies can succeed. I mean, yeah. any, I can tell you more, but I think you're already on the same page. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I could not agree more. Um, I think the SaaS wave is just getting started. And I think it will be order of magnitude more, uh, you know, uh, it will peak order of magnitudes more than uh, the consumer internet wave uh, is what I feel. And, and consumer internet will be order of magnitude harder to crack. Uh, yeah, than it was, uh, back. Yeah, it will just get harder and harder. Uh, B2B will be harder for sure, but the scale will be much, much bigger. Right. That base level of services has been solved in consumer internet, I feel, like from a service perspective, right? Uh, whether it's cabs or food or whatever it is. I mean, you can you can kind of recollect how it was in 2012-2013. Literally, there was an app for a service, you know? Basic point is, as a consumer internet company, consumer app, whatever uh, problem mm. you're trying to, doesn't matter what problem it is. You are still vying for that 15 minutes of this person's time Correct. after everything else has been taken out of their day. Yeah. As a B2B company, you are vying for eight hours of their time or four hours. Let's say because four hours is pending meetings. But let's say four yeah. hours of their time you're fighting for. And they have nothing else to do except your software. Yeah. So, Fantastic point. Yeah. Fantastic point. Yeah. Okay. So this uh, next question is going to betray your uh, betray your uh, implicit bias. Okay. Whether you're a product person or more of a business person. Let's see. Uh, who would you pick? Satya Nadella or Jeff Bezos? I think Jeff Bezos. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is, uh, I worked at both companies. Uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, Satya Nadal, I've not had a chance to see Jeff Bezos uh, several times having lunch in the cafeteria together. Uh, right. At that time, uh, he seemed like a normal man. After I left, everybody was uh, saying he's the second Steve Jobs and now his stature <laughs> and wealth and influence and all of that is far, far bigger. Uh, right. But uh, one thing that I'll tell you was uh, something that my colleague used to say. He was on the management side that time. As an mm. engineer, I didn't really think about any of these things or it didn't matter. But mm. a very interesting thing that he said was, he said that when he was an engineer, it was like he was walking on the street and he had that perspective of what he could see in his you know, 30, 40 feet uh, radius around him. But mm. his manager is like somebody who's on a building. So he can see a much wider radius, maybe at lesser detail, but he can see a much wider radius. He has a very different uh, scope. And then he was talking about specific people who, and that time, uh, both of us were in AWS. He was talking about this so-and-so guy who's my manager, who's the VP. He has this perspective. He's on a helicopter. And and then the people, the other people that he named, today they are on Jeff Bezos' S-team, which is that uh, senior leadership team, uh, mm-hmm. 20, 30 people were there, right? Three of those people in his leadership chain, they are on that S-team. And you were like, those people can see, like, this guy is on, like, in space somewhere. He can see the entire <laughs> planet and several planets. So if Jeff Bezos is operating with such people, he's been able to create that sort of leadership. Uh, it's just remarkable how many yeah. uh, massive, like Fortune 20 companies he has been able to create within his business. It's just amazing. So then yeah. of course, uh, just incredible what he has been able to do. The Microsoft that I joined is such a different place than what it is today. And being able to, as an insider who's been there, like far before uh, when I even left, mm. to changing the perspective of all of the insiders from such a, such a difficult company to be at because they thought they were the best at everything. Everything they had to redo. They didn't right. want to use even date and time that other people use. They wanted to create everything of their own. So right. it's amazing what he's been able to do. No, I mean, yeah. both these companies, right? I mean, the level of scale that they operate in and they've been, you know, the the also the amount of dexterity they've uh, shown in 
you know products or businesses uh, is remarkable right so i was talking to balaji shrinivasan yesterday and he had this point about uh, you know bill gates having seen the internet before it became the internet right before a lot of us realized uh, and really going hard with internet explorer uh, you know so it's just phenomenal like the scale and complexity of uh, uh, you know these companies as such right yeah absolutely yeah so if you were to pick one um, founder or operator um i mean i i want to say founder but i think yeah. the world doesn't need um you know so many founders the real work is happening from all the operators i think if anything everybody needs to have that founder mentality take more ownership of what they are doing really ask questions push back but really all the work is happening from uh, the operators again uh, not trying to sound humble or any such thing but really all the work that is happening whether it's revenue generation or you know creating the culture or all of those things are happening from the operators in the company the founders are uh, you know somewhere lucky that they find the right people and uh, get out of the way uh, and then they are doing all the uh, being outside and motivating other people yeah, that's being very that's being very kind to operators but yeah i mean i get what you're saying right so at some level a founder's job is to assemble the right people and enable them so right. yeah okay uh, the best founder or operator that you know of let's stop um i'll say one one person that i am really fond of and somebody i highly highly respect is this uh, person called hari is the head of hr at uh, big basket is the level at which he operates the number of projects that he is able to do at uh, the same time he is uh, advising several vc firms uh, he is a mentor to multiple startups plus he has a full time job as hr head of uh, almost 25000 people at uh, big basket on a okay. dime he was able to change his personality from a very uh, introverted reticent uh, uh, intellectual kind of a person to this extremely outgoing very very popular uh, person he's uh, you know linkedin top voice uh, year after year and you know speaking at events and just a very uh, very very smart person just somebody i really like and very clear thinking uh, in many ways i try to emulate uh, how he behaves how he would do things uh, just is uh, a he's as close as uh, anybody comes to me uh, uh, come, comes for me to uh, john luke picard from star trek wow that's a high compliment <laughs> uh, most underrated skill in a startup as a technical skill uh not technical i mean you could i, I don't want to call it soft skill it kind of diminishes it um just overall yeah. like so most underrated I, character most underrated uh, uh trait I'll, let's say I'll, i'll pick two uh, the first one i would say is communication i think mm-hmm. um if you are good at communication i think a lot of your flaws i mean if you are obviously first you are a nice person and you are smart and all of those things but if you are an excellent communicator i think a lot of your flaws will go away because you can tell a good story you can get to the point quickly you can uh, say things in a way that people remember they have the right takeaways you can be good at pitch decks you can be good at marketing collateral your sales emails will be better linkedin requests will be better that is an amazing <laughs> amazing power to have if you are good at yeah. communication and all kinds of communication every one of them is difficult uh, and uh, different but long form short form copywriting if you are good at communication you'll be so much so much better and nobody teaches that i don't think many people value it um, it's just uh, it's just a shame i think uh, more people need to do that uh, the other thing uh, and i was just telling this to my wife uh, this morning um, so i'll just share with you that uh, empathy 
is something that we don't uh, realize how powerful it can be. Uh, and I'll tell you, uh, I, I don't want to sound like one of those gurus, so I, I'll tell you specifically what I mean. Um, there is a show called Hannibal. I don't know if you've watched it, heard of it. Uh, no, it's not based quite. on uh, it's based on Silence of the Lambs uh, and those uh, that book okay. series. There is a character called Will Graham. He's uh, an FBI uh, consultant. Uh, he has the ability to get in the mind of the serial killer and envision what that person really did before he did the crime or why they did the crime and where this person everything because they are perfectly empathetic they can get in the shoes of mm. any person imagine why they are behaving a certain way and how they can connect with them yeah, if you that's have a that skill, it's yeah. um, it's a superpower if you have that you can know when you are giving appraisal feedback to somebody how are they feeling you are right. going to a prospect you know what problem if you have empathy if you can put yourself in the shoes of that person it takes 30 seconds before a mm. meeting before a talk you are giving a talk imagine what the audience wants to hear if mm. you know what the audience wants to hear you can say only that to them mm. so i think that's an amazing amazing skill to have as a founder as somebody who's pitching to so many people if you're able to figure out exactly the pain points the challenges yeah. that the other person has i mean it's an amazing skill but yeah communication empathy in a way so they are related because what do you do after yeah. you have that empathy you have to communicate so i would rate communication high yeah no i mean both the both the skills that you picked right i mean both are geared towards lending more clarity right which i think is like uh, and it's ultimately all of it is about psychology yeah. because you need to understand the psychology of a person make sure that they want to do what you want them to do for whatever mm-hmm. reason you're trying to motivate mm-hmm. them you want them to invest in you buy your company's products or whatever it is if you understand them and you communicate to them in a way that they have, appreciate what you are trying to do then you can get them to do what you want them to do yep okay moving on uh, the best quarantine hack that you can suggest <laughs> uh yeah so one thing that i can suggest is that uh, stick to schedules if you didn't do schedules uh, before and regular timings create those because uh, in this chaotic madness and uh, you know things being all over the place those can be real anchor points around which your entire team can uh, build that sort of uh, stability so for example rocketium has lot of these uh, fixed timings for stuff right 8 am doesn't matter what happens we do a daily stand up 8 right. 10 uh, 8 am is a product stand up 8 10 is a business stand up 8 30 is the on call meeting these are all 10 minute meetings but it gives you that incredible stability saying i don't care what else is going on i know the company will do this at this time every Months on the thirty first, thirtieth, whenever the month ends, we do an open house. So they know one week before that this guy is going to send the survey. You're going to have to fill it. So if you start adding these kinds of processes, you follow those. The world could be chaotic. You might not be getting funding. Yeah. Customers might be churning. Anything on the outside, the four walls could be changing. But mm. these things will bring that stability. You know that okay, I'm at least doing these things. You get that sense of uh, micro accomplishments. I think that's a very good hack uh, that people can follow. Yeah. schedules just uh, reduce ambiguity right either you know even on the personal front or whatever knowing that you have to do a particular thing at a particular time uh, yeah it just lends a lot uh, lot more clarity reduces ambiguity i can't agree more uh, with what yeah. you said uh, so what books are you reading at this point of time what podcasts are you listening to uh so right now i'm uh, hopefully you start to listening book. to this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah of course uh, so that's the that's the plan after this one so uh 
um the book that i'm listening to right now i'm not reading because uh, as i'm driving i listen to books uh, is impossible to inevitable it's not as nice as i thought oh, it yeah. would be uh, just a uh, big fan of jason lemkin and his writing with this book uh, the uh, narration is terrible uh, but the book also is not really up to par uh, compared to what i was expecting uh, but just before this i finished uh, enlightenment now i really really enjoyed that book uh, it's just again uh something we uh, i strongly believe in just positivity uh science rationality uh and the power of uh, humanity and it's really powerful enlightenment now is something that i'll highly recommend even the voice uh, narration of that is uh, really powerful uh, and one other uh, th- that i finished uh, maybe 4 uh, or 5 weeks ago is this uh, book called it's your ship mm. it's about uh, this uh, retired navy uh, very senior person in the navy who was uh, owning uh, this very he was the commander of this very large ship and how he brought in certain uh, management principles over there that completely turned around that ship uh, and made it literally the best ship in the navy across multiple okay. metrics they became the very best and uh, happiness ratings and performance of various teams and so on so it's a very very nice book lot of very uh, tactical tips that you can take even though it's a very different uh, uh, operating environment lot of tactical principles that we can take away very interesting so the thing i uh, realized about the jason lemkin book right and uh, i t- i took an inordinate uh, amount of time to finish it as well because i was reading and rereading some of these things um, you can't do you can't go from start to finish you know because ah, various, that's what i'm doing <laughs> yeah yeah so various sections are relevant at various points in time right there was a whole customer success uh, section that i skipped for quite a while and that i picked up on you know just recently because you know i mean here we are in the situation where i feel that you know customer marketing is going to become a huge priority right yeah uh, not just from a retention perspective but even from uh, a growth perspective so i feel like various sections of that book are relevant at various points in time and i think you should pick and choose it's not a start to finish kind of a book yeah maybe that's what is happening yeah. and uh, the narration doesn't help that person is just yeah the narration <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i mean so many of these books right i just find the narration just uh, <laughs> makes or breaks the book yeah. seriously yeah okay we're uh, nearing the end of the podcast it's been amazing talking to you um, narration Yeah so what are some of the words of advice you have for uh, founders and operators listening to this podcast especially you know given the times that we're living in uh, how can they stay focused and execute better Yeah I think uh, one thing that has really really helped me is more and more customer conversations more uh, and this doesn't include exactly the people whom you are serving right now but even uh, slightly adjacent so this could be a time when Uh, a lot of people have time if you are able to get those meetings get those discussions more broad conversations you could have as a founder people give you a lot of uh, importance they give you uh, a lot more information than uh, somebody else who they could perceive as uh, trying to sell so this could be a great way for you to figure out two three more completely new opportunities for your business uh, also understand more about the industry and just stay in touch with what's happening uh if they are they happen to be users and uh, they talk good things about you it's also a nice uh, ego boost but uh, definitely find this time to block time in uh, smart people's calendars talk to them try and understand what's happening in the industry see how you can help them i think yeah. uh, that will be a really uh, nice use of uh, everybody's uh, openness to webinars and uh, <laughs> those kind yeah. of things no i mean i i i i could not agree more 
sometimes i feel the, this podcast is just a ruse to you know have an hour long conversation with uh, people that i admire you know and learn from so thanks <laughs> yeah hey thank you so much uh, satesh uh, uh these were some fascinating insights and i'm sure that people listening to it will go back with a lot of valuable points that they can think about and reflect uh thank you so much thank you thanks rashi thank you thanks for tuning in to this episode of the startup operator every weekend we'll interview operators at fast growing startups and curate insights that can help you do better This podcast is available on all popular platforms. If you like our content, don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you. Until next time, put your head down and execute.